0: I'm Dan Pelosi. I'm a food and lifestyle creator, whatever that means. So I have a new book coming out this fall. It's my first book. It's called Let's Eat, which I recently found out is on the cover of the menu at Olive Garden. It literally says Let's Eat at the top with a photo of pretty much all the food that's in my book. Um, so that's either going to be a really good thing or <laughs> a really awkward thing, but either way, I think it's like, makes complete sense.
1: I'm Jesse Sparks, and you're listening to The One Recipe, a podcast that turns to chefs and home cooks with a big question in mind. What is their one? That recipe they love so much, they'd turn it into a candle if they could. This week... We're singing the praises of red sauce with Dan Pelosi. Dan's a recipe developer, a food blogger, and the author of Let's Eat, 101 Recipes to Fill Your Heart and Home. Dan has made a huge splash online, sharing his own recipes and funny videos, and collaborating with a variety of guests from across the food world. Whether you know him as Mr. Meatball or Grossy Pelosi, I assure you, his recipes are just as easy and welcoming as Dan is. But I'll let you hear that for yourself. Here he is. Dan, hello. Thanks so much for joining. Hi, thank you for having me. I feel like a ton of people know you by a thousand different nicknames. (laughs) From Grossy Pelosi to Mr. Meatball and on and on and on. You can
0: just call me Daddy. It's fine. It's totally fine. Come on now. (laughs) Yes, I have a lot of names.
1: Where did all of these nicknames come from? Or at least just two of your most popular? So, well,
0: number one, like, Grossy is from college, so I'm... Forty. I'm going to be forty one soon. So about twenty years or so, the move, the Drew Barrymore movie Never Been Kissed came out, and there was Josie Grossy, uh, that was her her character's name, a, a sort of or sort of her not so friendly nickname. My friends in college were all drunk and high and started calling me Grossy Pelosi, and I thought it was hysterical. Didn't think it really <laughs> had legs, but now here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, a branding opportunity. A branding opportunity that's so <laughs> confusing. And also very sort of like, why are you a food brand that says has the word gross in it? And also, are you related to Nancy Pelosi? And then suddenly I'm like, ah! Help me, but it's <laughs> working sort of, so that's that. And then I sort of have like a very strong maternal or paternal instinct, I've been told. So a lot of people call me mom or dad, which is sort of a term of endearment, which is really sweet. So oh, I do also call
1: myself a meatball. You're right, this is the list goes on. <laughs> You had mentioned college, but I also know that you almost went to culinary school, but didn't. Can you kind of talk me through that story?
0: So, yes. So I almost went to culinary school. So I wanted to be a chef. I actually went to visit the CIA. And these were very different times, and I had a very different relationship with my body. Um, And so I was in high school. I was sort of like silently gay, sort of knew what that meant for my future, but wasn't really open about it. And my mom came home one day, and was like, my co-worker's son went to culinary school and gained like 40 pounds in his first semester. And I was like... (gasps) Right? (laughs) Wow, I can't do that. And I would gain 40 pounds and then no one will ever love me. So I decided to go to design school instead. (laughs) So body Uh, issues. It was all because of body issues and insecurity that I did not um, become a chef. But now I am a chef, and I love my body.
1: Honestly, you were the real winner of that whole situation. <laughs> so were you still cooking even though you didn't go to culinary school? Like, were you cooking oh. for friends?
0: I mean, the cooking started day one of my life. Um, my mom had <laughs> me sort of, like, on the, next to the KitchenAid mixer, sort of probably not very safely, but on the countertop, and it just continued... But yeah, funnily enough, it wasn't really until college or then after college that I sort of took all the stuff I had been observing at home and really making it come to life for my friends. I spent a semester in Italy and was sort of forced to force to wake up, go to the Piazza, um, was it the no, Campo di Fiori, get all kinds of fresh vegetables, take it home, cook for 10 people every night. It was awful. I hated it. Just um, but, <laughs> suffering. <laughs> I'm so suffering. Sorry. <laughs> That's where I became a farmer's market girly. It was incredible. <laughs> and I would make dinner and and then I, after that, I went. You know, I moved um, away from home, and that was really where I started digging my heels in in terms of cooking and sort of recreating all my family favorites. And then sort of learning from some of the great, like sort of American comfort food authors, like Miss Ina Garten and Martha Stewart, and really sort of like expanding my vocabulary. So.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And it sounds like while you're also learning all of this information, you're also getting more and more confident in the stuff that you already knew. Is that true?
0: It really is. I mean, my mom recalls coming to visit me in Rome um, halfway through my my school year, and she was like, oh my god, Like you were managing a kitchen of 10 people, <laughs> delegating tasks, telling people what to do, and bringing a dinner together. And this is what my, the women and the men in my family have been doing my whole life, and I sort of helped, but I never really took the reins. Is it Caterpillar Became the Butterfly?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Come on. (laughs) Grossie Pelosi, the the best Caterpillar to Butterfly story. Yeah. Focus on the the butter.
0: Focus on the butter.
1: (laughs) Emphasis on the butter. The best part. Emphasis on the butter. (laughs) When did you kind of feel like you had actually found your culinary or recipe development style?
0: I think I found it or it found me early in the pandemic because I was never developing recipes or had a style. I was just living my life. I was never doing it for anyone to, like, respond or to sort of look at it as um, a sort of serious thing. I was just inviting people into my home and cooking and enjoying, and there was no... um, no takeaway, right other than that was a great yeah. night out, and a lot of people would be like, "Oh, you should do this for profession and I was like yeah well that 's like a big pivot because i 'm already like in a totally different world of design and i 'm doing fine there, but it wasn 't until late two thousand and nineteen early two thousand and twenty that people started asking me seriously on the internet for my recipes, so I, that was kind of it, and that was when I really started to sort of create my style and I remember early on when I would write my recipes, a few people were like, it feels like you're in the kitchen with me. Like the way you write feels like you are standing next to me. And I was like, well, that's how I learned how to cook. So that makes me really happy. So I think when I write, I try to keep that energy and that sort of authenticity of like,
1: what would you do if you and your girly were just hanging out in the kitchen? Like, how would you impart your knowledge? So that's so much better than some of the super stuffy recipe titles and recipe writing that we see sometimes. You know, it's nice to be reminded that these are recipes to be shared with our friends, shared with our loved ones.
0: Oh, absolutely! And I think I have to kind of always remember around people. Like, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I, I'm not i I'm not like a culinary or a food media person. Um, I have become more part of that world. But I'm a home cook. I'm just writing stuff down on a napkin or my arm or like writing a note on my phone. I'm scrapping it together. And then I'm also referencing and calling all my aunties and my grand, like my grand. I still talk to my grandpa, who's 101, like three times a week, asking him how he makes his pasta azul, even though he's told me a hundred times. But you always just need to like have those conversations. So that's the world that I come from. Like, there's
1: no formality to what I'm doing. I totally hear you. So, Mr. Meatball, is your one tied to meatballs in any way, shape, or form? It is meatball-adjacent.
0: All things in my life are meatball-adjacent, but this is literally the most meatball-adjacent of all things. It is my marinara sauce, which is a tomato sauce that sort of is at the heart of all things Italian cooking.
1: So, is this one that you developed from scratch yourself, or is this kind of inherited from family? It's
0: a little bit of both, and I would say it's sort of more from scratch for me. I think with all the things that I make that are sort of like part of my childhood, I do spend time sort of talking to all the people in my family or remembering the things that I've observed or the taste. But this recipe, actually, I love because I actually developed it. It was the first thing I made in my kitchen when I moved to San Francisco. So I moved to San Francisco when I was like 23. And despite having lived in Rhode Island for college or even Italy, which I knew was only going to be like eight months or like seven months this was the first time I was like okay I'm not going to live back home again probably ever so I was really homesick so I immediately pulled out a pan Got some tomatoes, got some garlic, and just started going at making my family, which became mine, marinara sauce. And it took me a while to sort of get it there because it's not just about the flavor, but it's about the smell. Um, I always joke that marinaras are the best scented candle (laughs) you could buy. (laughs) So I started in San Francisco just kind of like going at it, and I finally knew that I had it when it smelled right it just smelled like the marinara sauce but it felt like home
1: so walk me through it i have to know now
0: so it starts with olive oil and garlic and then i actually use um red onion or purple onion depending on what you want to call it um i find that it just gives it a little bit of a deeper more robust flavor and then some salt some pepper some red pepper flakes and i cook that down Um, until it's all nice and sort of browned and translucent and really, really smells sort of the way that, you know, garlic and onion and olive oil smells. It's sort of the classic sort of like, it's really good. It's kind of jammy and delicious. And then what I do is I throw in some red wine. So I like a sweet, marinara sauce so i'll take some red wine and i'll take some dried oregano and i'll reduce the red wine by half and really let it soak in to those um, onions and the garlic and then i would say about seven or eight months of the year i'll put some fresh tomatoes (laughs) in it and those tomatoes i will tell you when i was in san francisco those were an early girl tomato almost all the time early girl tomatoes in San Francisco are the sweetest most delicious tomatoes that was the best marinara sauce of my life and so I put those tomatoes in put the cover on and just let it all stew and those tomatoes get really soft really delicious so that's like probably about 15 to 20 minutes and it really breaks down the tomatoes lets a lot of juice out and then I mix it sort of all up and then make sure that it all feels really jammy and good and uh smells right. And then I throw in fresh basil. I throw in some cans of tomato puree, which is just like the smoothest can of tomato possible, also known as passada. And then uh, I will throw in typically some crushed tomatoes as well, just for a little bit more texture. Um, My marinara sauce goes from really chunky to really smooth, depending on what the end use is. But at like most times I like it to be really chunky. And then I really just let it cook. So I give it at least like 30 minutes on the stove, 20 to 30 minutes. Let it cook, let it reduce a little bit, because you don't don't know how thick your sauce is until you let it cook for a bit. And what I love about this is that every time I make it, it's a little bit of a journey because your tomatoes are a little bit different. You might've grabbed a different can in the grocery store. You're not exactly sure what you're going to get. I taste it, add more salt, pepper, red pepper flakes. I add some tomato paste to thicken it if you want. Um, And then here's the thing. I do, nine times out of ten, add some sugar to the sauce. Because unless you Ooh. have... Ex- I know, I know. This is very <laughs> controversial, but I don't give up. <laughs> <Blech>. um,
1: <laughs> this is a theoretically family-friendly show. Be
0: careful. Yes. Well, sorry. I'm sorry. You can bleep, bleep me out. Whatever. Um, yeah, so I don't care what anyone thinks, and I add sugar because to me it's like, I'm not serving my marinara sauce with like cake like i'm serving it with like more savory things in the sauce so i like a little sweet and savory combo so whether it's a meatball eggplant parm lasagna ragu like anything i like the the sort of contrast So i like the tomatoes to, to feel like they were candy like tomatoes when they went in and if that's not the case then you add a little sugar it sort of balances those things and then the best part about it is that the marinara gets better and better and better over time so you can let it simmer and then you could take it off you can let it put it in the in the fridge for a couple days and it's like even better on like day 4 than it is on day 1 and then from there you kind of just do whatever you want with the marinara and actually in my book i have a whole chapter that's like marinara and then it like you make the marinara and then there's like eight different recipes of what to do with it it's sort of like the hero recipe cuz that's how i grew up you know like you make the marinara and then you make you feed an army with it so
1: <laughs> there were just armies and armies living around you at all times listen our girl always at the center of the, of the drama
0: <laughs> yeah actually i think for me it wasn't really an army but it was like italian men who thought they were in the mafia but they weren't you know what i mean which is like not as yeah. chic as
1: being in the mafia but, anyways, so to go back to the the point in the recipe where you're stewing these tomatoes, mm-hmm. right? So we have the tomato paste, we have the tomato puree, mm-hmm. and then we also have the fresh or canned tomatoes. Yes, are the girls are your preference? But do you have yeah. any other recommendations, either for brands for the canned tomatoes? I mean, so I have a real aversion to
0: like saying you have to use this brand because I think food mm-hmm. accessibility and price points are an issue in the whole world. So I don't want someone to feel like Marinara is not possible if they can't get a specific brand. But I will say that my grandfather, Bimpy, Bimpy Santa, Count, has a real love for Cento tomatoes. In fact, when he turned 100, Cento via me sent him 100 cans of tomatoes because Cento means 100. Oh. I know. I'll send you the recap reel. It's so sweet. Um, I know, it's really sweet. So, cento is sort of like a family thing. And I love cento, but I also love San Marzano. I love other different kinds of tomatoes. I also love... I'm curious, right? So if I see a new kind of tomato uh, on the the shelf, um, I'm going to buy that over my go-to, because I want to see
1: what it does. And it's just fun to experiment with it. Totally. So now that the sauce is done... Does the sauce freeze well? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? Absolutely. <laughs> it's
0: my, Bippy has five freezers in his basement. His nickname is oh Bippy Freezer King. Yeah, one you could fit like six dead bodies in, but that's our fake mafia. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, the whole dream of it is that like I would make so much of it during early girl season that I would have it year round in the freezer and you take it out and you you know, you just like to frost it and you're, you can make a million things. It also freezes really well inside of other things like lasagnas or eggplant parm or stuff, baked stuff shells, you know?
1: Oh my gosh. The options and opportunities are endless. Dan, it was so great to have you come by. Thank you so much. Thank you. What an honor. Dan Pelosi is a food blogger and author of the forthcoming cookbook, Let's Eat. 101 Recipes to Fill Your Heart and Home. You can find that recipe for Grossi Pelosi Marinara Sauce on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at the theonerecipe.org. And hey, if you liked what you heard, you can like and subscribe. It makes a world of difference. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Cameron Wiley, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios' executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The one recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic.